morning. Um, we, we kicked off a new series last Sunday, which we've entitled Fire Starters. We've been thinking about fire, which on a wet day is a good thing. We need more fire. Um, some of the things I shared was that God wants every one of us to be on fire with passion for Jesus and for his kingdom. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you were born to burn. You're intended to be on fire. It's supposed to be a passion in our life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're incredibly welcome here today. And I hope that one of the things you hear is Jesus' invitation to you to live a life that's full of passion, purpose. Uh, we, we remembered last week a story um, in the Gospels of two disciples who were, who were taking a walk. It was a couple of days after Jesus had died on the cross. And the resurrected Jesus comes and walks with them. And all sorts of things happen, and they recognize Jesus, and then they said, did not our hearts burn within us? It's fire, the burning within us. Paul in Romans says, be ablaze by the Spirit. It's that sense of fire. I shared this quote from John Wesley, founder of Methodism, great evangelist. He said, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Fire is attractive. It's what is going to make a difference in our lives. Every one of us, I believe, is born to burn. And last week we thought about the way that the fire, this passion for Jesus, is caught and sustained in his presence as we build relationship with him. And I pointed to a couple of resources that Vineyard Churches um, have recently um, kind of put out there. The first is this little booklet entitled How to Spend Time with Jesus. It's really helpful. Um, it's a pound. Uh, they're, they're on the table at the back. There is an honesty box there. Commend that to you. And the second was this little postcard called The Examine. This is um, from Ignatian spirituality, from that tradition. It is a very helpful way of bringing um, the way that we're dealing with life, our emotional responses to things, and bringing it into the presence of Jesus and doing that each day. And so, again, this is a very helpful um, little tool for us. So, they're free. They're on the table at the back. You're welcome to pick those up. This morning, what I want us to do is think about how every one of us can start fires by taking the lead. Every one of us can start fires. Uh, look around in your world, our world. It needs a bit of leadership, doesn't it? Anyone else spotted that? And that's not a new thing. I mean, this last week politically in the UK has been interesting. Really interesting. The US Congress is considering impeaching the president. And then in Canada, their president is in trouble for blacking up. Our world needs leadership. Politically, we need leadership, but we need it locally as, as well. We need, we need leadership in local politics. We need leadership in the business world, in education, in creative arts, in science, in music, in filmmaking. We need leadership. And so does your street. Your street needs leadership. Your workplace needs leadership. The school or college where you study needs leadership. See, people, I believe, are looking for hope, and that's what Jesus offers. But someone needs to lead them towards that hope. And someone needs to tell them about that hope. Someone needs to lead people into hope and life. And that's all about starting fires. And this morning, I want to suggest that can be you. And that can be me. So we're going to look at a story this morning in the life of Moses. He's one of those big characters in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Exodus chapter 3? 
You might have a phone or a tablet, that kind of thing. The words will come up on the screen in a moment. But let me just tell you where this story, kind of like what's gone before. In the preceding chapter, um, Moses is Jewish. He's part of the people of Israel. He sees one of his fellow Israelites being beaten up by an Egyptian. And so he checks that no one's looking, and he murders the Egyptian. Unfortunately, people were looking. And so he gets found out, and he has to run. He flees. And he flees, flees to a place called Midian. It was in the desert, and he spends the next 40 years in the desert. The same time, his people, the people of Israel, were in Egypt, getting intense, intensely enslaved by the Egyptians. It's getting worse and worse, and they cry out to God for freedom. So this is where we pick up the story, the first verse of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. You might think, like, you know, invite yourself into the story, what would you have done? And you might think, bush on fire, I'm going to run. No, you wouldn't. Fire's attractive. I think most of us would have gone and had a look, just like Moses did. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, because bushes normally talk, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Where I want to start this morning, I'm going to want to share three things that Moses finds in God's fire. Three things that he finds. The first is this, he finds presence. He finds presence. He finds that he is on holy ground. He takes off his shoes. And a voice comes from this bush that's on fire and says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is presence. Moses knows that he is in the presence of God himself. And as we often say around here, everything good starts in God's presence. That's where he finds himself. If you want to have a good day, start it in God's presence. Seeking his presence, spending time with Jesus. Because everything that we need for life is found in him, in his presence. 
The second thing that Moses finds is that it is personal. So put yourself in this story. Imagine for a moment that you are Moses. You're looking after sheep. This is like your day job. You're out in the, out in the desert, and all of a sudden, this shrub catches fire. But it's not burning. And then the shrub talks to you. It's getting weird now. And it knows your name. Matt. Philippa. Put your own name in there. Because how many of you have had an experience like that? You've been walking around Feltham or Sunbury and a shrub has just caught fire. Anyone? What I want to do is suggest this morning that many of you have had that experience most days of your life. But you might not have seen it. Because maybe you've had experience like I often have in worship, where I hear that whisper as I heard this morning, Andy, I love you. You're worth dying for. I love you. Maybe in prayer, when you come to prayer, a bit like me, and you hear that whisper of God, it's Andy, it is going to be okay. I know what you're in right now. I know that some bits of that feel utterly overwhelming, but it's okay because I am always going to be with you. Or maybe you have an experience like I sometimes have where people share a prophetic word for me and it's spot on. They've been reading my mail. And one of the things that tells me is that God knows me. It's personal. He's speaking my name. You see, as we come close to the fire, we find ourselves in the presence of God who's personal. We come to the fire. He calls out to us. He calls out to you. He calls out to me. That's why times of worship is so precious. Because we find ourselves in the presence of fire. And the fire is personal. The third thing is that Moses is given purpose. He came out of three of the same letter this morning. Presence personal and purpose. Moses is given purpose in life. Let me read verse 10 to us again. God says to him, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In other words, Moses, I've got a job for you. He's being called. He's being given vision. He is being given a purpose, a destiny in life. And the same way that God does it for Moses, he still does it today. For people like you, and me. So that raises a question, how can we know if it is actually the Lord speaking to us or if it's the indigestion carryover from last night's curry? How, how, do you, how do you know that it might be Jesus speaking to you? Well, there are three characteristics of purpose that we find in this story, and here they are very quickly. First thing is, is that God-given calling starts with who God is. Starts with Him. A vision of God always comes before a vision for God. Always starts with Him. The second thing is that God-given calling is always bigger than us. So that sense of purpose that you have, if you can do it on your own, without the need of anybody else, and without the need of God, it's probably just a good idea. But if it feels way beyond us, that sniffs like God-given vision to me. You see, our church's vision is that everyone in the area that we serve would come to know that God loves them. Now, the area that we serve has a population of in excess of one million people. 
And so, being very honest, there are times when I feel utterly overwhelmed. Utterly overwhelmed. And so I try and be smart and I pray. And Jesus reminds me and he reminds us that he is in control. And if we will make ourselves available to him in the communities and workplaces and neighborhoods that we live in, then everything becomes possible because Jesus is amazing. The third way we can tell is that God's calling aligns us with his mission. Remember the way Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to heal the sick. I've come to bring freedom. I've come to serve the poor, to bring healing and life. And then Jesus sends his disciples out to do exactly the same stuff. And so if your sense of purpose takes you to the kind of places where Jesus would go, that smells like divine purpose to me. That's how we can know. So I wonder what dreams God has put in your heart. What are the things that you believe that he has said to you, that you sense that he has said to you? What has he called you to do? What has he whispered to you? What purpose has he put in front of you? And a really important question then is, is what am I going to do with it? What, what am I going to do with what I sense Jesus has said to me? Am I going to take a lead in some way? Am I going to live that out in some way? Now, I'm sure this is not the case with any of us here this morning. But just in case, what sometimes happens, or what I actually often see happening, is that we can start to give excuses to God. So the conversation goes something like this. God, what you've just said, that, that sense of calling and dream that you've got, that is amazing. I'm excited by it. It looks absolutely stunning. But God, what you have failed to remember about me is this. Or what you, what you don't realize, and you, you've just somehow overlooked in your excitement, Lord, you've forgotten this. And so we can come up with some reasons and some excuses as to why we're the wrong person. And that is exactly what Moses does. And he does that in the rest of chapter 3 and the first half of chapter 4. So we're not going to read it all, but I'm going to pick out the five excuses that Moses gives. And as I do that, my guess is that some of them will resonate with you. There'll be some of them where you think, I do that. Sounds just like the conversation I've been having with God. Because there are things that inhibit us from taking a leap. There are things that can inhibit us from starting fires and living out the fullness of what God has, the destiny he has for our life. So, here goes. There's a tour of Moses' excuse list. He starts in verse 11. He says, but Moses, but, that's that word again, but. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Excuse number one, I'm a nobody. Who am I? I've nothing to offer, nothing to bring. I'm insignificant. Who am I? And here is what God replies in verse 12. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Effectively, what God says to Moses is, it's not about you. You've overestimated your significance here. I will be with you. The one who spoke to you out of the fire. 
the one who has always been faithful, I am all that you need. And it's a reminder that it's not about us, it is all about him. Moses isn't satisfied. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Excuse number two, I don't know enough. What if people ask me a question that I do not have the answer to? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know pretty much everyone I've spoken to ever has thought that. I don't know enough. What if the friend that I want to invite to um, a church service, to a Christmas carol service, what if they ask me in that moment to explain the theology of the Trinity and the doctrine of substitutionary atonement? I don't even know whether I know what substitutionary atonement. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? God, I barely have an answer for myself, let alone anything to share. I do not know enough. What does God say? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. That phrase, I am who I am, is loaded. It has this sense of past, present, and future. I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. For those of you that were part of the Bible school last year, you might remember Derek Morphew, who's a theologian around the vineyard. He, he interprets this as the becoming present one. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom breaking into our world, the becoming present one. God is the one who gives us everything that we need when we need it. And I want to suggest this morning that you know enough today for what Jesus has for you today. Because he will give you for tomorrow what you need for tomorrow. I am who I am, the becoming present one, the one who is breaking in and giving us what we need for today. Moses isn't yet convinced, so he comes back to God again. This is chapter 4 and verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Excuse number 3. What will people think of me? What will they think of me? You see, Moses had reason to have some concerns about the way that he may be viewed by the people he was being sent to. He was now 80 years old. There was nothing wrong with being 80, but he was, he was in the latter years. And more than that, he had blood on his hands. You see, Moses had grown up in the royal palace, and the chances are that when he was found guilty, you know, well, he scarfed, but when he was found guilty of murder, that hit Instagram. Facebook of his day, papyrus. However, they shared the news. He was known. That's Moses. That's the guy that murdered an Egyptian. You see, there were things in his past and present that would have felt like it hindered his future. And there may be things in our past and in our present that we feel prevent God from using us in the future. And one of those things is how we think other people view us. What we often call the fear of man. The fear of what others think about us. It's that kind of thought that says, if only they knew what I was really like. If only they knew. 
And that kind of fear can be absolutely crippling. It leads to insecurity, and insecurity paralyzes influence. It stops us stepping forward. Now, God is incredibly gracious to Moses at this point. And if you read verses 2 to 9, there are two miracles that God performs. The first is this. He says to Moses, throw your walking stick on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And then he says to Moses, grab it by the tail, and it turns itself back into a walking stick again. He comes up. And then, and, then Moses, and then God says to Moses, look at your hand, and then he says, put it into your cloak. And when he pulls it out, his hand is covered in leprosy. Put it back into your cloak, pulls it out, and it's utterly restored again. Just stunning, isn't it? You see, what the Lord, I believe, wanted Moses to know, and what he wants us to know, is that it is his power at work in and through us that makes a difference. And it doesn't really matter what people think of us. What matters is what Jesus thinks. And what he thinks is that you are worth dying for. That you are loved, that you are known, that you are significant, that you are valued, that you are accepted, that you are worth God pouring his Holy Spirit out into your heart. He's an advert, isn't it? You're worth it. But take that more theologically and biblically next time you hear that advert. And would you, maybe you hear Jesus speaking to you when you hear an advert about shampoo. You are worth it. That is what Jesus says. You see, our ultimate audience is an audience of one. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the audience that counts. And he has chosen people like you and me to start fires and to lead people into life, to be Jesus in the world. So would you take heart this morning? What matters is what he thinks, and he thinks the world of you. Now, our friend Moses is not yet done. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. This is after these couple of stunning miracles. You'd have thought that would sealed the deal. No. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Excuse number four. I'm not good enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't have the skills on board. I don't have the right gifts. I'm just not good enough. God gives a very gracious reply to Moses in verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who gives human beings their mouths? That's a rhetorical, yeah, good, good answer. God. It's a rhetorical, it's one of those rhetorical questions in the Bible. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will, yes, quite you see God getting a little bit frustrated here. Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. In other words, God saying to Moses and to us, I made you. So if I want to put words in my mouth, do you think I am able to do it? And if I want to help you do the things that I'm calling you to do, do you think I am able to do it? And the answer is, yes. Yes. He does, and he does that by his Holy Spirit. Shamelessly plugging the evening service that launches next Sunday. It restarts. Six, at 6 p.m., because that's how it happens. It happens by the Holy Spirit working in us. 
Moses, our dear friend, has one last go. Verse 13 of chapter 4. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That, that's like, you know, that must have felt like taking the trump card out of your screen and going, God, beat that one. Beat that one. Moses, excuse number five, I just can't do it. Or more to the point, I, I really don't want to. I just don't want to do it. Verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Top tip of wisdom this morning. Please don't get to the point where the Lord's anger starts to burn. It's not good. Say yes way before you get to that point. Say yes. You see, we might have all... And actually, just to fill in, what, what God says, God is so crazy. He says, okay, your brother Aaron's on his way. He's going to be your buddy. It will all be all right. We might have all kinds of excuses as to why we can't take the lead. And Moses had some really good ones. What kind of response is the Lord looking for? What was he looking for in Moses and what is he looking for in us? It's actually the first thing that comes out of Moses' mouth in this story. So let me take you back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. What Moses says is this. God has called him, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Here I am. See, what God wants is our availability, not our ability. He wants our surrender, not our strength. And so Jesus invites us to take a lead in our world. Someone has to start some fires in all sorts of areas of our world. And one of the ways that we're going to carry on exploring this whole idea of taking a lead is in our next equip courses. So one of the options that you'll see there is um, called Leadership Essentials. This is all about taking a lead in the world that we live in. It's on Saturday the 10th, 12th of October. And Rob and I uh, lead that time. There's childcare if that's helpful to you. And we look at leadership and taking a lead in, in all sorts of manifestations, in all sorts of areas. Um, for example, you may feel called to take a lead in a church setting. You know, we have around about 600 children and youth in our church who need people to lead them to live out their full potential as part of our church. And that could be you. There are three to 400 adults that need a small group right now. And it could be you that leads. But what about where you work or, or study, if that's the season of life that you're in? Who is going to take the lead in bringing Christian perspective into that environment? Who's going to take the lead in bringing Christian heart and values into the office in which you work? It could be you. You could be the one to start a fire. Who's going to take the lead in talking up about Jesus? in conversations that you might be part of at school or in the coffee shop, who's going to take the lead? And what about your community? I'm utterly convinced that God wants to bless our communities. He wants to bless the street that you live in. But who's going to take the lead in helping your street towards the future that God has for it? It could be you. You could be the one that starts the fire. You see, I am convinced that most people can take a lead. Most people. It might just be, even if it's just one other person. 
So come and join us and explore that in Leadership Essentials. Because at the heart of all this is, is, a, is my belief that we're all called to take a leap. And we're all called to start fires in the world that we live. Um, and starting those fires of God's kingdom wherever we go. And that is for every one of us. Everyone, every day, everywhere. Into every environment that we go into. Now I want to share a couple of quick stories this morning. Um, these ones that actually Carmen um, emailed to me a couple of days ago. And I, and I asked her permission to share them. And she graciously said yes. So she said, yesterday, I, I'm going to agree that she, well, she went to St. Peter's Hospital. You know, there are sick people around hospitals. You notice that? And she was waiting, and she sat next to a lady and started um, just chatting to her. And then Carmen said if she could pray for this lady, and she said yes. And when she prayed, one of her, her hand got hot, and the lady could feel a heat uh, from, from Carmen's hand. And she said the pain went down, and she felt better. And then Carmen told her, about Jesus. That's the first story. The second story, she said, today at work, a colleague panicked and was about to faint. And she knew what to expect because it happened before. Um, and she asked her line manager to call the ambulance. She said, we didn't call the ambulance because I went to pray for her. Her manager walked away because he knows me and what Jesus can do through me, even though he's not a believer yet. And so Carmen prays and, you know, the, the symptoms just sort of dissipate. Um, and in a matter of minutes, she got back to normal and was able to continue working. Her vision came back, her ears were fine. We said we're going to sit down next week when I'll be back in the office and I'll explain to her more about what just happened. That's starting a fire, isn't it? That's starting a fire. That's someone having been in the presence of Jesus who says, I'm just going to be a little bit incendiary. I'm going to start a fire. I'm going to spread what has started in my heart. I believe that we can all take a lead in starting fires for Jesus. Whatever our excuses might be, whatever our reasons why it should be somebody else, it all starts with us saying yes. Because you have a resonance with those words.